Hello and welcome to another edition of the 16-Ounce Canvas, Daughter of Carefree Podcast. My name is AJ Kearns, and I am thankful to be your host here each and every week as we do our part to introduce you to the artists and designers from around the world who help bring us our favorite beers and breweries to life. And this week is a special episode for many reasons. The first being we have Mr. Kent Ambler. We came to learn of Kent years ago, literally, and he was supposed to be part of our season six lineup, and life happens. Shit happens, as we all know, here in 2020, a lot of craziness happens, and, you know, scheduling life and whatever other things came up, it just, you know, wasn't possible, and we have a few of those which we've been trying to, you know, rectify. We had Beeb and, you know, Julia Green, and so there's a few others that we're, we're working on, and it's, it is what it is, and it's, it's fine, and it's nice because, you know, the last three episodes, uh, if you include this one, we've had the ability to, you know, fill in the gaps and kind of go back and catch up with folks, which I think is just really wonderful. So we're really excited to be able to tell you Kent's story, and it's really... It's a career. It's not a blip on the map. It's a story of hard work and passion and literally, you know, I guess pun intended, carving out, you know, his own, you know, his own path here in the, in the art world and doing some great stuff, you know, in wood carving and just talking about that and how it came to be. And it's just a, it's a wonderful story. It wasn't intentional, but it was natural. It was genuine. And here we are. And so I think that that story will, will really resonate with you. And then we're recording this. You know, we, we tried to do some of the editing and what have you in advance of it being, you know, holiday weekend and Thanksgiving. Went back and forth if we should have an episode this week. But it's Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And 2020 has been a, a crazy year. And so I know that while it is unprecedented and uh, un unnatural, I guess, uh, scary, stressful, and a list of other things that, you know, represent the unknown. There's a lot to be thankful for. We had a wonderful dinner tonight and it was, uh, you know, I've been saying and trying to look at things a little more of the, the, the glass half full to keep the, the beer puns going. And this Thanksgiving was really nice. It was, you know, my wife and I, my wife, Sue and I, and our, our two boys, and that was it. Um, you know, we made that choice to, to stay home. You know, we usually either you know, have guests or we'll travel to see my family in Philadelphia. And it doesn't go without saying that not being able to you know, see my family, my mother and father and my, my siblings and our, you know, the two newest members of our family, you know, Carter and Mason, my two you know, beautiful uh, nephews, that it made it any easier. It didn't. But when you look at it in the big picture, I know that it was the four of us, and that might be the only time ever we get to have that. Because, like I said, next year and, and for years to come, we'll, we'll travel. And then they'll have their families, you know, and what have you. And you know, it was just our, our core four, and it was kind of nice to take a step back and really, you know, be appreciative of that. Uh, you know, I also, from a personal level, made a concerted effort to be a part of the of the cooking. I think a lot of times. For holidays, when we look at it, you know, I realized that we have these roles or perceived roles that we have for each other, um, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, uh, heteronormative things. 
you know, the idea of the, the woman in the kitchen and the, the guy sitting on the couch watching football, drinking beers. And I don't know. I just didn't really, you know, like that thinking and realize that maybe I fed into that, you know, uh, you know, passively for, for years. And so as we prepared for Thanksgiving, you know, just, you know, you're in the house, you, you hear things, you're, you're present. And if you're, you're listening, you know, you hear how stressful or worrying you are about making you know, Thanksgiving dinner special. And so I just really made an effort and I don't know how successful that was, but just to, to be more present and to be more part of that process. And it just really was really important for me. Whatever your dynamic is, I know some folks are very, uh, have strong feelings about, you know, their cooking and, you know, traditions of, of cooking and who does what and what have you with that. So I support that, but just really made an effort to, to be part of the team and, you know, have a role in that. And I think it just made, for me, made Thanksgiving, you know, a little more special. I don't know if the food tasted any better, but, uh, definitely was, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. So I think... The reason we chose to do one this year is because we wanted to take an opportunity to reflect on 2020, what it's been, as these are coming some of our, you know, our last you know, few episodes uh, of the year, and just to realize that we're really blessed to have so many wonderful people in our life. And this year, given the craziness, I think it's allowed us to really have you know, genuine connections. I know in my professional life, we have a, you know, a core group of folks who, you know, we call the kind of the OGs and, you know, we have this virtual lunch that, you know, was how we connected a bunch of uh, different individuals who are at, you know, different points of their, their professional you know, career in life. And we all came together with, you know, with no pretenses and just were there for each other during some tough times. And it's, uh, it's evolved into some genuine friendships. And so, if you're listening, you know, just want to, you know, say thanks to, you know, to the crew and, you know, Laura and Janet and Julie uh, and, you know, Jamin, uh, especially, you know, Kenny and, and Frankie and, you know, and Kate and, uh, and Dexter and, and the crew there. It's just really been, really been important to me to have you, you know, in my life. And so thank you. You, you mean a lot to me. And it's wonderful to think that, you know, a year ago, a lot of us didn't even really know each other. And so that's really great. Uh, on a personal level, want to you know just thank you know Tish and Chris and our you know the beer culture fam just for for being there for being a you know a part of my family and for for welcoming me to be part of the team. Uh, it really you know really means a lot, and we're doing a lot of great things. And just to look back at what we've uh, done together since you know since July is just uh, it's just really wonderful. And you know want to you know thank you know Karen and Pepsi and the crew and just uh, you know we got a lot. Regular, you know, poker game once a week, which has been, you know, just you know, want to thank Zoom. I guess you've been you've been great, and you know, really appreciate that. And just to, you know, everyone, you know, we have a for folks out there uh, who we know through uh, craft beer, we have, you know, we're doing a little Elfster holiday, you know, beer Twitter holiday exchange. I want to, you know, thank Mark and everybody for for. You know, being, you know, just reaching out and helping with the, the turntables and, you know, learning the music and to the, the craft crew here in Connecticut. We also want to give, uh, you know, special thanks to some folks who continue to listen. You know, uh, like we said before, make sure you please follow uh, Paired Pints, Phil over there, Cleet and Crayon, great follows. And then, you know, we have uh, Tina with uh, New England uh, Illustration and, you know, Night Art on Instagram, NEID Art. 
want to give a special thanks to to her crew, LB and Rocky, and then uh, you know Patty, one of uh, one of the wonderful frontline workers, and then obviously as we've you know thought about and continue to, to push forward, you know, we like to just dedicate this episode to all the wonderful, you know, teachers out there, my, my wife, Susan included. I just think that, uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy, I have a, a lot more respect for teachers as we also, besides going to, you know, work every day and trying to keep, keep shit together. You know, I've been trying to, you know, teach and homeschool the kids. And so, um, yeah, just really blessed. I think, you know, taking everything in perspective, this is a great episode, Again, uh, I apologize, Kent, for, for rambling on here during your your intro here, but please make sure you follow along with uh, you know Kent and everything he's doing, uh, kentambler.net or .com. You can also follow Kent Ambler Art on Instagram, and you can just see his process, and just it's a, it's a wonderful story. I think he's just you know doing things on his own terms, and he's creative, and he has a beautiful you know piece of land that you can become jealous of by your following, but... Uh, Again, you're listening to the 60 Ounce Canvas, the Art of Fair Beer podcast. We want to wish you and yours happy Thanksgiving. We're, we're grateful wherever you are. We appreciate the fact that you take the time out of your day to you know bring us in and help build and, and strengthen this community. This is episode 175, and it is not a prime number, but it's a it's a very powerful number just to realize that we are almost at 200 episodes. And so uh, we're doing a lot of research this week. I want to thank. Uh, Andrew, uh, who's been a big, big, big help for us. He's really made it, uh, uh, himself available to answer anything. Andrew Gepelt, one of our previous guests, Andrew Gepelt with uh, two Ps. So it's Andrew, G-E-P-P-E-L-T on Instagram. Follow along with him, and he's just been a wonderful help. We are one step closer, maybe 10 steps back, but one step closer to the book, and we're just going to keep pushing forward with that, and we'll, we'll keep you updated. So... Without further ado, my ramblings are over over ten minutes introduction here, which I, I do apologize, but um, it's uh, it's well worth it. So, you're listening to the 16 ounce canvas, Kent Ambler, episode 175, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. More art, less beer. But here we go. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 16 ounce canvas. The Art of Craft Beer Podcast. Very excited to have with us today, checking in from Greenville, South Carolina, Mr. Kent Ambler. We came to learn of Kent a few years back through the work that he did uh, for Blackberry Farm Brewery. But the beauty of that was we've been following now Kent for a few years now, and uh, it's just been amazing really to see. I'm jealous every time I see his land and the, the new uh, studio he's work, he built from scratch. And just uh, it's just been a real pleasure. Uh, our 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 lines have been disconnected a few times. We haven't been able to make, make this work, and we were just both saying it's uh, it's perfect timing. So thanks so much, Kent, for for making the time to be on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. Oh uh, yeah. I, so for folks, you wanna you're gonna wanna follow along at home. I think that's first to do. So go to kentambler.net uh, is the is the website. That's a uh, one of our easier names to spell. So thanks for that, Kent. And then go to kentamblerart yeah. on, on on Instagram. <laughs> Or you can go to slapit.com on the on the Ambler and, and find it there, which I, as somebody who used to do websites, I appreciate when folks buy the .net and the, the .com. It's a, it's a little, right. little, it's a little, it's a little thing that makes yeah. it so much easier. Yeah. So, cool. so, so Kent is a, uh, is his, you know, you, you work in uh, wood carvings and you, you have in really interesting works with, with nature. You uh, have some social commentary. And which I think is really uh, interesting, especially the the Pillsbury Doughboy and the 
the the yeah. large the large coffee chain uh, commentary. Uh, we don't want to get in trouble in case they listen, which you know, obviously. But right. yeah, but what I'm what I'm really drawn to is your the, your your nature pieces. I really I really love that the animals and seeing where your you know, your land is. It kind of just makes sense that you're you're kind of capturing those moments. But before we get into you know where you are now, you've been an artist for over you know 25 years. You're you know you've we were talking kind of the pre-interview how you you were in the early days you know and pre-internet. Or I think, how, how did you describe it? Pre-internet, before internet was really useful and could do anything, which I thought was a, a good way to put right, it. Right, right, yeah, um, right. Yeah, so so this is where you talk a lot, and then we then we go from there. But um, okay. what's the kind of the, the Kent Ambler story? How, I mean, you're, you're, yeah, I would love to, to learn more more about you in, in your own words. Well, okay. well, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> as, uh, uh, as comfortable as you want to share, yeah. Okay. So basically I was a kid who was always, you know, drawing in school. And um, so kind of on autopilot, didn't have a really good, uh, you know, uh, parental influences. So um, art teachers kind of assumed I'd go to art school and I was, uh, you know, 18 years old on autopilot and uh, I applied to art school. So I went to art school and went to Ball State, which is in Indiana. They have a good undergraduate program, and I went in and was a fine arts major. Made it through the whole four years before I realized there's no job for this, you know. <laughs> so never had anybody even mention it. Never came up in school. No one talked about the business side of things. And uh, so got out of school and uh, worked at a sign shop, and I tried to get in galleries because um, again, this is. You know, that was the, the old school route, you know, and, and I'm still in 10 galleries, but um, basically the, the way you did it was you, you'd write to a gallery. You have to, first of all, find the gallery. So you'd look in magazines and whatnot. And so I was probably applying to galleries that were way too established or way too big, but basically try to figure out, um, you know, will the work, will my work fit there? And pre-internet, that's pretty tough unless you go to the city and visit the gallery. So I was sending out just dozens of letters to galleries trying to, you know, see if someone would take me. Well, eventually I got in a few galleries and um, gotten married during that time. And my wife wanted to go back to school. So we ended up moving to New Mexico where she went back to, for a two-year degree in physical therapy to call a physical therapist assistant. And I worked the whole time she was in school, still, you know, getting in galleries. And by the time she graduated, I was getting pretty regular checks from galleries from three or probably three galleries. And I thought, okay, well, she's making, you know, she got a job making 30 grand a year and we thought we were rich, you know? And uh, so I thought, okay, this is the time to start full time. And so I'm getting some checks from galleries and, She's got an income now. And so that's when I started full time and was totally lost because, again, this is 96, 97. So, uh, you know, the galleries or the Internet wasn't very useful. And living in New Mexico, um, there's a lot of art out there, but it wasn't necessarily my uh, vein of art. You know, it was a lot of Southwest, a lot of Native American a lot of Spanish, you know, folk craft type stuff. 
which has I think has influenced my work. Some of the folk uh, folk art I collect it, but uh, so the first few years I didn't really make. I probably made less than five grand a year for the first few years, and then uh, we decided let's move somewhere else. Okay, and um, sh my wife didn't want to go anywhere cold, so that xed out a lot of the country. So we literally got out an atlas, xed out all these states. And we'd been in the Southwest for six years and thought, okay, we're done with that. So we X'd out all that. And uh, so her criteria was she didn't want to go anywhere cold. We X'd out the Gulf states. We didn't really want to go down there because I didn't want to have a hurricane wipe out, you know, 20 years worth of artwork. And so it pretty much isolated like Northern Georgia, South Carolina, maybe North Carolina, inland, not on the coast. And uh, my criteria was, after being in New Mexico, I said, okay, if we, if we see it where we want to go, we're, you know, we're basically picking where we can go because she could get a job anywhere. And, um, and I was, you know, I'd been full-time artist for a few years, not making any money, but, um, so my criteria was if we see a town we think we're interested in, I don't want any art stereotype to pop in my head, you know? So, like Charleston, art pops, you know, images of what the art in Charleston is pops in my head. Um, New Mexico, obviously. Um, and so we came across Greenville, South Carolina, and I thought, yeah, I don't, I don't see any type of art being made there in my brain. You know, I just, and so it allowed me to kind of do what I do. And shockingly enough, I always tell people it sounds kind of, it sounds a little strange, but I moved to South Carolina and my art career took off, you know, so most people wouldn't think go to South Carolina and have an art career take off, but it did. So, um, that's where I am now. And, uh, yeah. So most I, of my art, I guess is, Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just, I, I can, I can totally see the, the visual of the, of the map crossing out and it being when it right. was also right. Like, when you were saying the internet wasn't useful, I think yeah. now we take it for granted. I remember the days if I had to go anywhere. I mean, I thought MapQuest was amazing, but you literally probably print out a small tree to, you know. Right. It wasn't <laughs> formatted right. You'd get like three right. directions and it would run a bunch of blank page, you know, and so. Right. And then, right. yeah, I just, and yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know how I ended up in Connecticut, but it definitely wasn't me crossing awesome states on a map and what have you. So I like your method. Yeah, I like your method a lot more. Yeah, it was, it was, it worked out. It's, uh, you know, I grew up near Chicago. I grew up in Northwest Indiana, right on the Illinois line. And there's still kind of a, I think there's still a little bit of a, kind of a, a I don't know, so much as looked down upon, but I, I have friends up there that probably thought I was crazy moving down here. And I, and, but I, but I look at them and I'm like, you don't own any art. And I live in Greenville and people buy art all the time. So it's this weird perception of like, so maybe the North is more cultural than the South in like so the arts and stuff, but Greenville's very, like the whole, like, you know, Charleston, Greenville, Columbia, Asheville, North Carolina, it's all very arts focused. Whereas where I grew up, I mean, it was kind of a blue collar type, uh, you know, lots of, like both my brothers work in steel mills. Um, they just don't buy art. 
so it's kind of odd that that whole thing still puzzles me that I moved to South Carolina and things took off, you know, it's just counterintuitive, I guess. Um, but yeah. If you, uh, yeah, if you, you make it, they will come, I guess, right. Field of dreams. But right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you went to, you went to school for art. How did you, I mean, your craft wood, you know, wood carving and what you're doing with that, I think is really unique. I think it's a very traditional, um, historic art form, but how did you kind of fall in love with, with right. that? Well, okay. So again, I said, like I was on autopilot cause my mom didn't know anything about art. Nobody I grew up with made art, you know, no aunts, uncles, nothing like that. And so I, but the teachers had kind of said, you should go to art school, my high school art teachers. So I went and I went in and I remember through a strange, I, I didn't know at the time, but the lady that uh, was, I'm not sure what you would call what she was doing, uh, checking in, uh, whatever. Um, once I got to the art department, she ended up being one of the print professors, but she said, okay, what are you, what are you going to major in within the art department? Well, I didn't, I didn't know much about art except I drew all the time. So I said drawing and she said, Oh, that's great. We don't get a lot of drawing majors. So they signed me up. So each program within the art department has a structure. You know, if you're a drawing major, you're going to take a ton of drawing classes. Maybe you need two photography classes, maybe only one sculpture class and one clay class, you know, so they've got it all figured out. And obviously if it was clay, you'd have a ton of clay and maybe only, you know, two drawing and maybe, you know, so they got it all figured out. So once you get so far into it, if your interests change, then you're kind of putting yourself back because you, you have to readjust all your classes and say, okay, now I got too many drawing classes. So those are just sort of fluff at this point. But anyway, so I went into drawing and within the first year, the painting professor got a hold of me and she said, you should really switch to painting. So I did because I wasn't that far into the program yet. <clears throat> and uh, and then the second year, I took an intro to printmaking where you covered, the, you know, the, the class covered woodcuts, etchings, dry points. Uh, all the sort of, you know, a, a variety of printmaking methods. And the first thing was woodcuts because it's pretty much the most primitive, I guess, method of printing. And so the professor, and I still keep in contact with David and Sorogeny, they're a husband and wife, uh, and they're just about getting ready to retire now. I didn't realize as an 18 year old that they'd only been at the school a few years, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, I took this intro to print and David said, okay, you have to go to the life sciences building or natural history building next door and draw an animal. You know, there's all kinds of taxidermy over there. Draw an animal. You're going to come back. You're going to draw it on a block and I'm going to show you how to carve it and explain. So I went over there and drew a, a, a turtle <laughs> and uh, came back and just on a piece of pine, Okay, which is what I still use. Um, I draw it on the block and I start carving. And there wasn't really a lot of instruction other than, you know, don't don't carve towards your other hand. And, you know, this is what a gouge does. This is what the knife tool does. But no one's really saying like, oh, angle it more. You just kind of, this, I think, and that's how a lot of art programs are. You just kind of figure it out. It's more of the exposure to the method than the micromanaging the method. So, um, 
So I carved the block and everyone else was pretty hesitant. Like I carved and finished it. And uh, he, so David said, okay, Kent's done with his, we're gonna print his, I'm gonna show the class how to ink it and print it. So inked it, printed it, and everyone else wasn't even maybe, you know, a tenth of the way done carving their block. And so everybody assumed, they said, you've done this before, haven't you? I'm like, no, it just, I don't know, it just makes sense. So it just sort of clicked with me and uh, kept doing it. But I also, um, at that point, maybe that was the second half of my second year. And uh, I didn't want to switch to, you know, major again. So I actually graduated with a painting degree. And then I kind of minored in printmaking. I, I, all my elective classes, I did printmaking. And uh, the thing about woodcuts, I think they, out of all the print methods, in my opinion, they have the most unique look. You know, when you see a woodcut, it's kind of like, well, that's not a, you know, if, if you have no art knowledge, that, that's not a drawing or that's not a painting. What is it? You know, so um, whereas an etching, you know, a, someone that doesn't know anything about art might think it's a draw, you know, like it's a line drawing or something, but a woodcut has this distinctive look that I like. And so, and, and the good thing about woodcuts is you don't have to have a press to print. You can print with a wooden spoon or a, a baron, which is, you know, you, you kind of rub the paper onto the block. Um, so after I graduated, I got, I realized there was no job for a BFA <laughs> in painting, which I'm not sure how I didn't, didn't realize that before, but um, so ended up working at a sign shop and uh, still trying to get in galleries on the side. And um, so, yeah, and, and I was able to do woodcuts because I just printed them by hand with a spoon. So kept making work at night and, you know, 20, 25 years later, still, still making woodcuts. And I do still paint and I do, and I make sculptures sometimes I carve sculptures. And um, so, but yeah, anyway, I, I just seem to, woodcuts just seem to be my thing though. And it just sort of came natural. So no, uh, no um, parental influence or no, you know, growing up didn't have a, a parent who was a curator at a museum or anything like that. It's just, it just kind of, I just found it, you know, so. Yeah, that's the, the purity of um, that it. That, good. Yeah, that kind of, you took to it and it just kind of this, yeah, it was unlocked. And I, everyone's probably like, how did, yeah, there's that one kid in class, everyone's like, oh, he already knows how to do yeah. this, making me look bad, right? And you're like, no, I'm just, it just came to me, right? So, yeah, I'd probably yeah. be, I'd be the kid right. with the, the sliced up fingers and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you've done, yeah. you've done a few turtles since then, right? So, I mean, is that, it's a kind of a, do you have that piece or do you, uh, yeah, I've done, yeah, I, think, okay. I think I've seen a couple of I turtles. still have it. Yeah. 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 I've done three or four of those. Uh, in college, we only had to print an edition of three because, you know, broke college students and papers expensive and the school supplied the ink. That's probably another reason they only wanted you to print three for the, you know, for the grade. You know, if you got three that printed pretty similar, then, you know, that's good. But, uh, so yeah, I still have one of those, one of my first woodcuts, and I've got one from another turtle I did a few years ago, and it's interesting, I think, for me to look at it, and, and I, I'll point it out to some people every now and then, the difference, and you know, even though people thought I just had this 
this ease with the medium in college, I, I look at it now and it's still pretty hesitant on the carving marks. You know, I'm still sort of a little bit and, and a lot of the marks are the same, you know, whereas I'm trying, I, now I try to do a lot, a lot of different tools, a lot of different variety and cuts. And um, so I think a lot of students, at least they'll get one gouge and, and they cut everything with that one gouge and all the marks are the same, uh, you know, same sort of depth, same sort of, um, width um all that sort of thing so um so yeah it's interesting to compare them but for the most part i you know i've never felt like sitting around waiting for an idea you know for like you know some of my work uh does have social commentary but i I didn't rack my brain those just kind of came to me and i'm like okay i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna stop doing what i'm doing i'll make that and uh so, but for, so for the most part, I never really felt comfortable with having like a cause, like all my art is about AIDS, you know, or something. I, Cause it just didn't, it wasn't part of me, you know, it wasn't in my life. So I just sort of took the advice that, I don't know, I've heard writers uh, told this advice of, you know, write about what you know. So I've always just sort of made work about my immediate life, my immediate surroundings, you know, my dogs, cats, I have 12 acres now, um, lots of birds. Um, I lived in a house that we rented when we first moved to South Carolina and the, uh, there's an older house it had those aluminum awnings over the windows and they'd put in, they'd put cedars that came right off the windows and, and stayed dry under those awnings. So there were always dozens of birds, like right outside every window, and they weren't afraid. I could walk up right to the glass, and they just sit there eating. So I got to where I started drawing those a lot, and so I think that's that's probably from around 2000 when the birds started coming in to the work more. Um, and then there was a little, uh, I don't know, a little push to that when probably in about you know 2000 seven or so an architect that had bought some of my work in Asheville she got a hold of me and said she was doing a um a uh, addition to the hospital in Gainesville Georgia it's called I think it's Northeast Georgia Hospital System they were doing a 200,000 square foot addition and part of it had was like a tower shaped room for meditation and the person that was the benefactor for this tower part was an uh an audubon person they loved bird watching and whatnot so they were paying for this meditative space and she so they decided they wanted these cast glass windows of birds around the top eight of them around the top of the room you know they're probably about you know 25 feet off the ground and they're four foot by four foot so this architect got a hold of me and said i think your woodcuts would translate well to um glass so we want you to make eight woodcuts that we can then have made into windows. And uh, so I decided, well, I'm not, you know, do they need to be one-to-one? I, I've never made a four foot by four foot woodcut. And that might be a little, a lot of trouble. And she said, no, just keep them square. So, and I already made a lot of square woodcuts. So I did these two foot by two foot bird woodcuts that were then made into the windows. And, um, that was the first time I worked two feet by two feet. 
And I thought nobody, for, so for a woodcut, it seemed huge, you know, and I thought nobody's going to buy it. You know, who's going to buy these big woodcuts? So I only printed 15 of each one instead of 20, just because, I don't know, the, the, the whole auditioning part gets kind of boring a lot of times. But um, so I printed 15 each one. And within about a year, they were all sold. And and people were, you know, do you have any more of those big bird woodcuts? And I'm like, well, okay. So, you know, I guess I'm getting steered into a direction a little bit here. But again, I got to make a living. So, you know, a lot of my work's probably, you know, I, I skip a lot of ideas sometimes that if uh, I have shows coming up, like, okay, there's, I want to make these woodcuts of skeletons with masks, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the, the COVID masks or whatever. Yeah, maybe I, I'll just hold off on that for a little bit. And, you know, I've got these other things. I can look right out my window and we, you know, we've got 12 acres of woods with birds and turkeys and deer and fox and three dogs running around. So, um, so I kind of go back and forth with that, you know, it's, it's making a living is a little, it does influence the work some. And so, but that's just the way it is. I'm not a trust fund kid, so <laughs> right. got to got to make a living too. So yeah, and I would say that you now looking at your work that's available. You've you're, the scale of your work seems that that moment where you're thinking of two by two. I mean, some of your pieces are your prints are much larger than that. I feel like right now, right? Am I? I know, right. Thinking like the, the yeah, the I do lighthouse a lot of piece. thirty-two yeah. by no, the, yeah, the water the, tower, the, the water tower, tower yeah. and the. Uh, like the Doughboy is 52 by 32, and um, I do I do quite a few. Uh, so with a woodcut, they you know work on paper is usually matted and under glass, or maybe it's floating without a mat under glass. Um, I tend to do mats, but so like the Doughboy with the mat and the frame is 62 by 42, which is pretty big for a woodcut. I do a lot of you know 32 by 40. Um, so yeah, there's it's it's just you know doesn't seem that difficult now, but I, every now and then I'll meet a younger person. And they're like, "The work's so big," but I'm I'm just kind of used to that scale now, I guess. So, um, and then I'm in a I'm also in a gallery in Asheville. It's called I collect folk art, and I think it influences the work a little. Um, but there's a gallery in Asheville called American Folk Art, and uh, I I tried for years to get in some other galleries there, and they kept turning me down. So I went to American Folk, and I said. Um, look, I've been to college. I, I have a huge folk art collection. I love it. You guys, you know, they have wood-fired pottery because Western North Carolina is kind of known for that. And uh, I said, I think my woodcuts will fit your gallery very well. And they agreed. So I've been in there since 08 now. And and every year they around February, usually right around uh, Valentine's Day, they do a miniature show where nothing can be over... I can't remember. I think it's nothing can be bigger than five by nine inches. And uh, so every year she, you know, I'll, like in the November or December check, she'll put a little note. Are you making any little stuff? <laughs> so um, I'll make like six to 10 small pieces, you know? So, so basically my work will go, the smallest is probably like two by two inches. And then the biggest is probably, you know, 32 by 40, not, you know, without, or 32 by 52 without, not, not considering the mats or anything, but 
so there's a there's a range in scale i like working larger because you can be a little freer with the carving whereas when you get small you sort of you know you, you can't really do a an arm length stroke with a gouge you know you're 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 it, it physically constrains you to be a little pickier a little tighter um but yeah anyway now before you said you do even going back to your turtle your, you do your drawings and and things now on pine is that the type of wood that you use um for somebody who doesn't know yeah. a lot about mm -hmm. that is that that's always you're always working in pine for the the carvings is is that a hard is that hard Generally, to get the right piece of wood like is it what is that process like uh, it can be, yeah. Um, I, generally, I just go to Lowe's and I'll pick through the whole stack of boards, you know. So it, anything, if you go to like a just a box hardware uh, uh, home improvement center, um, the widest boards you're going to find are uh, one by twelve, you know, uh, which is actually three quarter inch thick, but they call it a one by twelve, so it's eleven and a quarter wide. So any any of my woodcuts smaller than 11 and a quarter in, in a, in one of the directions, I can just buy a one by 12, cut it up and uh, you know, to whatever length I want and use that. When I get wider than that, then I have to be even pickier because I have to find pretty flat boards and then I edge glue and clamp them. So, you know, a, a 32 by 40 board might be made out of four boards that I've clamped and glued. And then, since I don't have a planer that size, I just have to make sure I, I get them pretty even when I clamp them. And then I can lightly sand if there's a little bit of, you know, I don't know, a little bit of a variance. I can sand it a little. But for the most part, my work's pretty loose and rough cut, which is why I use the uh, pine. Because, you know, when you, you can get knots and some parts of pine, it's unpredictable. It might have a really open grain that you're never going to get to print. Uh, solid you know it's always gonna have wood grain which i like um i'll work with the knots sometimes i'll place a knot in a you know like okay if there's going to be a moon up here i'm going to leave the knot at the top of the block and then the open grain around that knot won't print and it gives kind of a glow or whatever um but yeah so and, and with the pine if you cut across the grain it rips and it tears so uh, it just depends on i guess your approach and your comfort level. So a lot of people wouldn't like that. You know, they would like it to be, you know, I, I think, I think, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think the, the more common approach to woodcut is to get tighter because you're working on a, a block that is not the art. It's not the art. It's going to make the art. So you're one step removed. So I'm always trying to get looser. And my work is usually a little tighter than I imagined it because even I can, you know, find myself controlling marks a little when I'm carving because mentally the tighter you are with the block, mentally you can kind of picture what that print is going to print like. So if you start getting really loose and crazy and there's knots and open grain and then, you know, uh, I use multiple blocks. So I generally cut a block for each color and I, and I purposely carve stuff a little off register I use a lot of transparency in the ink. So, you know, two, two blocks layered might, you know, you might get an extra color in spots because um, the transparency they layer and creates another color. Um, 
so there's so many surprises with it. I've just gotten to the point where um, I like those surprises. And so I try to be pretty loose. I'll carve three or four, you know, I'll, in my mind, I'll say, okay, this woodcut's going to need a black block, a blue, a brown, and a gray or whatever. And so I'll carve those blocks, mix up some ink, print it, and see what happens. Okay, uh, change the ink a little, print it again. And it's a little better, but I think I need to add a fifth block. I need to get rid of that block, and I need to carve more on this block. So I'm like, so there's a proofing process. So whereas if you're just doing a single color black and white, and you're carving it really tight and refined, you can probably get it pretty close to what you were picturing on the first shot or the second shot, you know. Um, so it's a little looser, and sometimes it's you know it causes problems to where I might have. 17 or 18 proofs before I, you know, I keep going back, print it, uh, change this, change that, carve here, carve there, proof it again. Okay, do six proofs, changing the colors. Okay, it's just not going to work. I'm going to add a fifth block or a sixth block. So I go back, carve a whole new block, add another color. So, and then sometimes I get it right on the, you know, third or fourth print. It's like, okay, that's how I want to addition it. Um, but yeah, so the pine, I got a little off track there, but the pine is, nice because of the way I want it to look it's you know the looser rougher cut um some you know there's a lot of different things you can carve on and occasionally for really large pieces I'll carve on like a birch veneer plywood just because it's hard to glue up a panel that size without it cupping you know so mad you know carving up and the weight you know might you know so anyway so sometimes I'll carve really big stuff on a birch veneer but it, it does cut different and it also it kind of depends on the, there's a lot of variables in there depending on the company where you know where it's coming from i remember in college we would carve on birch veneer and it carved great but the stuff i find now i don't know if there's a different resin or a different glue they're using but it'll be hard as a rock and very brittle and it's just a, you know so i think there's this different uh it's, everybody has to find what works for them, I guess, you know, but. Yeah. When you're talking about the transparency and the, the different blocks and uh, setting it up for, for the, for the final version, I was really drawn to the fact that uh, kind of what you're, it kind of resonated with what you're saying is you have a unique way of like the, the depth of your, of the, the pieces, knowing the, what you're using and, which I think is really impressive. Kind of like I, I was one of the ones uh, I believe, uh, Enchanted Woodland. Like it has a depth of like you're seeing yeah. you know, the front, but it's multi right. multi layered. Which right in right obviously right. modern design programs is just a couple clicks. But like it's amazing to me to think that that's on top of each you know, on top of each other, and right. it really gives that depth of the kind of that you know the moon. You know, where how the moon falls and kind of right in front of you, but the light right. in the background, yeah, it's really powerful and it's uh, it's really cool to hear you explain it that way. And we are back. You're listening to episode 175, Mr. Kent Ambler. 16-ounce canvas, and I would love to go back to that sweet home place. Oh, sweet home Chicago. 
Mr. Robert Johnson. But this is a great episode. Like I said, 25 years in the making, you know, just continually doing what he loves and finding that calling and it just just coming. Like it just was in there. It was in Kent and he just found it in a moment. And people thought that he had done it before and was trying to show them up and what have you. But it's just uh, it's just wonderful because, you know, he's a humble man. He's doing what he loves. I mean, if you go to his, you know, website, Kent Ambler dot com or dot net and you can see his studio it is just beautiful and if you go to kent ambler art and just dive back in go back a few years and you literally see it get built you know right and so it just doing i mean acres of land one with nature you know he's just you know him and his wife and his dogs and and the birds and there's some stories coming up that we'll talk about that and just it's just sometimes things don't need to be bigger than they are it's just Somebody doing what they were, you know, what they love and maybe, you know, want to say what they were meant to do. I don't know. But he's damn good at it and it's great. And I just, you know, the advice he gives later. I don't know. I think since I know what happens next, it's kind of like, you know, I don't want to ruin it for everybody. But it's just, uh, you know, his mild, you know, uh, affect and it's just kind of chill and just tell stories and let you learn and think and appreciate and so i think that's why this is a great episode you know as we finish out 2020 we've got one more episode left miss uh melissa jones beauty of the beer is going to be finished out our season 15 and then we got some really cool shit lined up for for season 16 but we are just uh using this episode to uh you know take it all in this moment in time and, and share with you and so i think that you know who knows? I don't know if I've evolved as a as a moderator or an interviewer, but I think that, you know, two years ago we might not have had so many great things to, to reflect on. You know, it wouldn't have been a little crazy and I probably wouldn't be wearing a mask and, you know, all that stuff. But I think that this is just a really positive, ep- really positive episode. And I hope that you, you know, hope you feel that, hope you see that. And I hope you really appreciate, you know, Kent's work because I just think it's incredible. I think it's wonderful. And I just love the... I just love the medium. I love the art of it. I just like, you know, how it comes to be and the stories that they tell and just, we say simple, but this is, you know, wood and just, you know, getting this in his hands and just, you know, doing it. And the anecdotes of the idea that this is just some big capitalist uh, way to make money is just, is hilarious to me, but I just think it's just a, it's a pure historic art form that, you know, just, you know, Everybody as a kid, you know, you carved a potato and you, you know, did the stamps. And, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you do letterboxing or, you know, other geocaching. And one of the things is to have your own stamp and, you know, leave your own mark. And it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. What other way to say it? It's just really fucking cool. And, you know, Kent's doing some great stuff. And so I just uh, hope you enjoy this episode. KentAmbler.com.net. Kent Ambler Art on Instagram, and we are the 16 Ounce Canvas, the Art of Craft Beer Podcast. 16OZ Canvas is the hashtag. It's also the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, slapa.com on the end of it, and you've you know got everything there. We also want to, uh, as we did earlier in the episode, you know, want to thank the 
the the teams of the team of Adams. You know, they're just uh, we're really lucky. You know, Mister Mister Jolly and Dietrichs have been uh, you know good to us during this, and I think that you know we really take this opportunity and to really appreciate all that we have and all that we're doing. And so I think that you know we'll do some more as we as we finish up. And you know, thanks to to Lauren and Laura and you know uh, Aaron and Brian and Claire and it's just uh, we got a group and obviously. One of the cool things is, uh, you know, sending you know messages to folks on uh, Thanksgiving. Let's just know how important they are. And one of the other folks we want to, you know, I guess a shout out to is uh, Mr. Will Holmes of Standard Gastro Pub, who literally four plus years ago we went to what we thought was a, a gas station that we didn't understand why people kept going into. And you know, from there we you know had our minds blown with uh, the amount of really unique and cool beer and delicious food that was inside at this gastro pub and started, you know, doing episodes. And, you know, we talked to Tom Lesnar of Hoof Hearted and mentioned, you know, Will and the, the location. And from there we, you know, started getting in touch and, and became friends. And I have the uh, you know, utmost respect for him. And I'm proud that we were able to, to partner up for Hubbub and hopefully we'll be able to bring that and other amazing events, you know, back to you in the future. So... We, we appreciate everyone. We are just really uh, using this episode as, a, as an opportunity to to be humbled and just uh, take it all in. So let's get back into it. Part two, Ken Ambler, 16-ounce canvas, the art of craft beer podcast. That's what we do. Uh, uh, a little trick I do a lot. I don't know where when I started doing this, but sometimes uh, so you have what's called the key block, and that's the first block you carve generally has most of the information this is the way i do it um so it could possibly work as a black and white print you know just black ink um so i'll carve thinking in that way and then i'll print it and I look at that first print you know just with the black ink and then i'll say you know okay it's strong it's a strong black and white woodcut i'll just i'll addition it that way or most of the time i say yeah it would look better with color so in this block I just carved, instead of it being the black block, I'm going to make it a transparent brown. And then I'm going to carve a new black block, and I'm going to carve a background color, and I'm going to carve a color for whatever, you know, the, the colors on the birds. And so I'll kind of reverse it from – so a lot of times the, the, the first block I carved doesn't end up being the the – the block that you actually see the most it, it ends up being kind of a uh, kind of sits back a little and I'll print it with a transparent gray or a brown or whatever a green or whatever but um, the printmaking inks are very opaque uh, or you know so if you right out of the can or out of the tube they'll obliterate a color if you print a color and then you print a color over it it covers that color completely for the most part. Um, I mean, I'm, there's certain colors that wouldn't, but for the most part, they're very opaque and heavy. Um, and I remember, I, so I was a painting major and you could create glazes and tints with oil paint or with acrylics, you could use gel medium and create transparent colors. And so after college, I, uh, I started thinking, why can't I do that with print? you know, with printing. And so this is, you know, 91. So this is way before any internet and I mean, civilian internet. And uh, 
so I had to search around and I, and lo and behold, there's this thing called tint base for printing, for print, printing ink. I knew nothing about it in college. I, I guess they figured, you know, they've got a budget and they're just going to buy the colors. They're not going to let people waste a bunch of tint base and whatnot. I don't know. But so I found tint base and realized I was able to cut the colors. You know, so some of the colors I'll mix, I'll mix a little bit at just, you know, and then I'll add like 80% tint base and get really faint colors, you know, maybe only 30% tint base. And I'm not really scientific about it. I'm just, you know, pulling numbers out of my head right now, but I just kind of, you know, I mix, I don't keep track of how I arrived at a color. Uh, so, um, but yeah, so without the tint base, it'd probably be hard to do a print like I, like the way I do it because they do, it would just feel a lot heavier, I think. And I use oil-based ink because um, that's what we used in college and I just stayed with it. But, you know, some people use water-based inks. Um, I think with um, a larger edition, like not that I'm doing large editions, but imagine a, a, a 32 by 32 inch square woodcut with five blocks. And you mix, I mix up the inks. If they're water-based, it would be hard to do an addition of 30 because they, I'd constantly having to remix inks. It, it wouldn't last that long. Whereas with the oil-based ink, I can leave it out on the palette all day and, and print. You know, so so to, to print a big woodcut like that, I generally, depending on the number of blocks, like let's say it has three blocks and it's a 32 by 32 square. I can say, okay, so the day before I, you know, say proofed it all day and figured out how I want the colors to be. And then I clean up and the next day I'll wake up and say, okay, what do I have going on today? Do I have to be anywhere or not? Because a print that size to print 20 or 30 is what I generally do is 20 or 30. Um, will take either one really long day, like 14 hours to addition it or a couple shorter days. Um, and I tend to just plow through it and get it done because the cleanup time takes so much time. And, and then, you know, if I clean off the blocks a little, it gets a little fuzz and, you know, from the rags and stuff. And, and so then the next morning, you know, the first few prints, I keep finding little flecks of stuff in the ink. And so for me to, to print an addition, I'd just rather muscle through it and spend 14 hours printing and just get it done. Um, and if it was water-based ink, it would add a whole new wrinkle to having to, you know, it just wouldn't, you just wouldn't be able to have it out all day like that. So, and there may be tricks I don't know about. Well, I'm sure there are, but, uh, like, I don't know. We talked about someone else earlier. I don't know. I think he uses water-based, but, um, yeah, anyway, that's, that's my thing. That's how I do it. Well, right. And I think that. If you take each like chapter of your story, I think that as you grow, you're you're learning new ways to do it that worked for you, and I think that's the that's the beauty right. of art. Everyone has the same th nature to look at, the same things to look at, the choices that you're making, or you know, I think it's really interesting that the the subtle details that we were talking about before, even like an accent color, you'll you you'll have this town you know a town at night, and you'll you light up a couple of windows, but it's right. not, it's like, it's, you know, to know right. the level of detail that goes into making that little, little, you know, 
piece of that story, you know, it's really impressive. You know, a lot of folks try to, you know, strip down and only do two or three colors. And some of these pieces have, you know, more than right. I probably even noticed myself. Um, but it's, it, it, that's what I think is really, is really, those are like the choices that you're making that really give it that, that pop. And you can, uh, uh, I do sometimes put a couple colors on a block. Like you just mentioned the windows. If, you know, if there's, if I want like a, a, say a third layer of color in the sky, like let's say I have a blue and a gray and I want even a, a little bit of a darker gray in the sky and I still have to make a block for the windows, I could do those on the same block because they're so far separated from, you know, so I could, so I can, um, so I do do that sometimes, but I tend to gravitate a lot. Most, most of my prints are between four and six blocks and maybe with one block having a couple colors on it. I have done a couple pieces that were just insane where one had 37 blocks <laughs> and uh, I don't think I'll do that again. Um, I think woodcuts lend themselves, at least mine, the ones that, the way, the, what I like in a woodcut is a little more, uh, I want it to look like a woodcut. I want it to look a little more graphic. Um, I mean, they are, mine are a little more painterly, I think, than a lot of people's, but for, you know, weird adjective, but, you know, kind of looser, a little more subtle stuff, but I don't want it to be, you know, 50 colors from 38 blocks. And I think, I think the medium lends itself to simplicity. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Yeah. And, w- and with yeah. your, and with your painting background, if you wanted to use all those colors, you would just, you'd paint something. Right. So, I mean, I think that is the, right, cho- is the right, choice. Right. And I think that uh, yeah. doing more with less yeah, is, I think, is uh, harder, uh, is harder too. not harder. Yeah. That's, that's not a, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's deliberate. Yeah. Occasionally. Yeah. Occasionally. Well, pretty much every show, if I do a festival, it's, it's learned, it's taught me to explain to people about the process. Um, and I always get a handful of people at each show, you know, after I, they're saying, what are these? I'm like woodcuts. And, you know, some people say, are these, wait, these are made of wood. I'm like, no, that's just the word. It's woodcut or woodblock print. So I explain this stuff. And after I explain the process, um, they kind of look at a lot of people look a little incredulous. Like, you don't you don't carve blocks to make this. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's like the oldest form of printing there is. Um, but, uh, occasionally they'll say, uh, wow. So you can just, pr- you just crank these out then. I'm like, no, I only print 20 or 30 because the additioning part, once I've seen it, once I've seen one, the additioning part's boring. You know, I don't want to print, I don't want to spend 14 hours printing 20 or 30 of these, but, uh, but it's just, that's the medium. And I, and so the the woodcuts are meant to be additioned and I don't make woodcuts because I can addition them. I make woodcuts because I like woodcuts, you know, we're in modern times. And if you want to do a painting and have quote unquote prints made of it, like, why would I do this? Because I can crank them out supposedly. I'm like, you know, so so some people think it's like some weird angle to make more money. I'm like, no, I make, I make woodcuts cause I like woodcuts. Yeah. I um, mean, I, I never, know, yeah, I never heard the, of the, uh, the yeah. woodcutter who's uh, cranking anything out. The fact that it's like right. physical. Right. I mean, it's literally, it's literally like <laughs> right. one of the harder forms of art. I mean, anyone using, yeah, it's just, 
We love people, but there's also I some people it, who are dumb. And so I think that I can say, I'll say that, Kent, but it's just like, yeah, that's right. I, I found a loophole in, in capitalism and I'm going to exploit it with woodcuts. That's my right. way to <laughs> manipulate all of you. Great. Yeah, that's what I said. I said that to somebody once. I go, I said, uh, I said, yeah, my, I had this plan in life that I was going to make a bunch of money and my method was going to be woodcuts. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Right? You're yeah. in on it. Yeah, you show them your hands and you have like cuts and scars and all this stuff from just trying to take advantage, right? You're like, yeah, great. This scar is from 99. Yeah. This is too yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, One um, of the other funny things that shows that's taught me, I've, I've learned things to say that to make people click into the process. And so some people, if, I, if, I, if they don't seem like they're getting it, um, I'll point to one of the bigger ones and I'll kind of, you know, from a distance, do the little square tracing with my finger uh, around the perimeter. I'll say, so that one there, the blocks were that big. And I say, you carved a block that big? I'm like, no, I carved six blocks that big for that one. And then it, they just, then I see it click. And they're like, what? Wait a minute. No, you don't do that. I'm like, yeah, that's what, that's how it's made. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's, that's been one of the most effective things to uh, get people to like, wait a second, what? And then the funniest, the funniest thing is there'll always be somebody that, you know, th and they'll be totally interested and, and it looks like it clicked in. And then they'll say, I love this one. Do you have this one smaller? I'm like, no, the blocks were that big. <laughs> that's it. That's right. the only size. There's no digital print. Right, you know? exactly. If you were back, so, to, back to Mr. Uh, cranking them out guy, you right, you would have every one of your prints right. at every available size, so that no one, yeah, you would be a, the poster guy at, right. the, at the at the at the moment. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, right. it's, it's it's really uh, well, that's what we're here to do. We're here to educate people and turn them on to your work. Again, folks, we're talking to Kent Ambler. You can go to his website kentambler.com, and then on Instagram, you can follow his. Adventure, be jealous of his uh, his surroundings, beautiful one with nature and his dogs and all of his you know works that he's doing. So I yeah I love it. Um, so yeah, and also earlier you said about you know the where you're living with the awning and having the, how the birds were kind of had this like sanctuary from from the rain, and that's when right. one of the joys of you know I'm always trying to do the the glass half full of of the pandemic, but you know we've situated bird feeders we try to have them at every open you know window and tree and so i've uh have way more right. bird feeders than i ever expected but just the joy of kind of just sitting there and watching you know and being able right. to identify you know almost a dozen different birds that are local here because they come and, and what have you right. is really that really resonates with me is just the you know nature's all around us and sometimes you know it's going to sound cliche but people just don't stop and kind of really appreciate the beauty of it and i think that's what some of the you know, the joys of your work is uh, just kind of take, right. taking it all in and Thanks. not having like a, yeah. not having a plan. I think in your bio, you kind of just say it kind of comes to you and just like, you know, when you're not thinking about it. And I think that's right. the, I think that's the purity of it. Right. Thanks. So yeah, some of the, uh... oh, go ahead. You no, know, you're, I know you're, you're doing way better than I am today. So you t take it. Oh, well, I didn't know how much longer, so I didn't know if you want, if we were winding down or if you want to go off on another track, but the, the social commentary stuff started, at, uh, 
the, the Everything Will Kill You series started at a, uh, a festival I was doing in Charleston, and it was a 16-day show. It's called Spoleto, and it, it mirrors a city in Italy. It's like a jazz and theater fest. Uh, well, not all jazz, but music and theater. And uh, anyway, so I'm at the show, and the lady across from me kept in the tent you know so it's a 16 day show which is crazy because most festivals are two or three days and uh the lady across from me kept giving me a hard time i don't drink any hot drinks i just have never liked them so but i would drink diet coke in the morning for the caffeine and she kept giving me a hard time about the uh you know how terrible they are for you and how many of those have you had today and all this kind of stuff so finally i said nancy everything will kill you and she said, you should do a woodcut of that. And so I sat there for 16 days at the show thinking, oh, yeah, I do. I think that would be a fun woodcut. So I did the Diet Coke bottle. And instead of it saying Diet Coke, I'm a, I used the same kind of font, similar font. And I said, it says everything will kill you on the label. A little black and white woodcut. And uh, they all sold out pretty quick. And then you know, the next winter, it was, I think, the swine flu or the bird flu. And then, you know, so every now and then something would just be in the news enough that I thought, you know, I'll do a woodcut with that saying. And anyway, so that I do a couple of those every year. But if if uh, this year I did a couple, one, you know, when the COVID thing started, of course, did the obvious thing. I did a, they were talking about bats a lot. So I did a, one with a bat. Um, nothing super deep, but just if something if something's really being pushed and pushed and I'm hearing it all the time and I can make it work, you know, like if, if the idea works in my head, I'll, I'll make a woodcut that way. So I do 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 some things like that to beyond the sort of nature, everyday life stuff. And it's it's kind of it's also kind of fun to put text in the woodcut since that harkens back to the original purpose of woodcuts was, you know, print text, you know, communication through text. They would carve entire pages backwards before Gutenberg came up with the idea for the individual type, you know, the individual letters. Um, so I kind of like, you know, putting text in there every now and then, but um, yeah. Anyway. Now, which my next question, do you, the way that you're able to see things because you you the the flipping of when right of the when you're doing the prints and the topography right. when you're yeah, doing yeah. your type like how do you right. how do you turn that on in your head like how do you just kind of like do you do it normal quote well, unquote normal and then look in the mirror what reflection should be or do you just kind of is that part uh, of it just kind of like I just a kind of do it just kind yeah. of do it yeah just, well. Well, most of the, the text I'm putting in there is pretty simple. It's not like I'm, you know, writing the Gettysburg Address or something on there. So it's pretty, it's not too difficult, but it is a little shocking sometimes when, because I, I draw on paper a lot too. So instead of carrying wood blocks around the yard drawing, I'll carry paper and, the, you know, draw on paper. And I've got drawers and, you know, whole flat piles full of drawings. Um, and then sometimes I'll draw directly on the block in the yard. Sometimes I'll, look at my drawings from the paper and redraw them on the block. Right. And so I'm getting pretty invested in these drawings, you know, that, and I'm used to seeing it that way. So with most of the nature stuff, it doesn't really matter if it flips. 
Um, some of the town scenes, if I think it's something that a lot of people are going to recognize, like I did one in Savannah once where I was doing a show there and I drew from the hotel room in the afternoons after the show was over. I figured, well, a lot of people will probably, if I say this is Savannah, they may say, well, that, wait, isn't that building over there? You know, that sort of thing. So sometimes I'll reverse my drawing on the block before I carve it if I think it's going to be something that, but most of the time with the nature stuff, I don't, I just draw how I see it out the window or whatever. And uh, that first print when it reverses is a little shocking sometimes like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, cause maybe there's a slight, you know, when you get into like slight leans and things of objects and then they're slightly leaning the other way, uh, it, it can be a little surprising. Um, and sometimes, and my first initial reaction sometimes is, "Ooh, I don't, I don't like that." But within, you know, a, a couple hours of working on it, it's like it, it, it looks natural again. You know, if I'm not looking at my original drawing, so, um, so you know, so, so most of the time I don't care if things flip. Obviously, if there's text, you know, you got to draw that backwards. Um, some town scenes, I'll flip over the drawing and draw it backwards. Um, when I was in college, I did a woodcut of a couple friends of mine sitting um, under a map of the United States, and I didn't even think about it. And then when I printed it, you know, everything was the map was flipped, so Florida was over on the West Coast. And, and so I was like, oh, I did not even consider that when I drew that, you know. So, but most of the time, it doesn't matter if things flip, flip, you know. Yeah. It doesn't bother. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. If Florida breaks off and falls into the ocean, you know, that'll be okay. I mean, some... right. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there. We didn't, we know that we got some we got some famine squad down in Florida. We love you guys, but it's a little yeah. little little jab here and yeah. there. Little jab. But um right. uh that would be too easy. So we came to learn of you and we'll talk about it briefly because I have I have a bigger question, but you did some labels for Blackberry Farm Brewery how talking about size and scale uh the, the coyote one is is my favorite um the the cock one is good too oh, but um yeah yeah was it creating for that smaller size did you you know obviously there's probably some graphic designer in with it and doing it you know label because it's digital but how is right. how is that process because i think that one of the things which i really admire is you know you're doing kind of these are your pieces and I don't, there's not really a lot of them that are your, your are commercial pieces so i think that was really rare for me to see that stick out like that I and mean, you mentioned the windows but right really kent's work is kent and 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 you know people are drawn to it uh or carved to it and um i think that's yeah that was interesting to me because it really was a, it was an outlier yeah, well um yeah with that one um I, they gave me a kind of a, a schematic or whatever of the can unrolled, you know, so it's a certain height, and a certain width. And I did probably 30 or 40 drawings of different ideas that I had. And I went back in and met with them and they didn't care. You know, I can't remember what the dimensions were, but let's say it's, you know, five inches high and 11 inches wide to fit around the can. Right. Um, they didn't care if I scaled that up. So I did, cause I didn't want to really work that small. So I think I'm, I scaled it up by three. And uh, then I was able to do work a little larger. 
but so I did the drawings, took them back in, we debated on different things and um yeah, so we picked which ones we thought would be the best and that's then I you know made the blocks the right size and the inter interesting thing was uh, I I think I did one other thing that was kind of, uh, I have another friend who's a graphic designer and he had me do some illustrations that already fit my my work you know like if somebody said would you do an illustration of a a locomotive I'd be like well it's not really my general imagery <laughs> you know, so I probably wouldn't but if you want a bunch of illustrations of birds and woodlands and fox and dogs and sure you know I, I'm open to that you know uh, but uh, the um, Oh, where was I going with that now? Something about the uh, illustration. Oh, so I, I, the the few times I've done these kind of quote unquote commercial jobs, the deadline is like rush, rush, rush. You know, like oh, we need it by April first. We need it. By, you know, we got to have it. And then I I I finish everything, and then nothing happens for three months. You know, <laughs> like oh, we're still talking to the printers and whatever. So. So they were kind of in a rush to get these. And I had four or five festivals, mostly in the Southeast, like Chattanooga, Atlanta. Um, I forget where else. Uh, I can't remember the others. But anyway, so I was taking the blocks with me to hotel rooms and actually carving at night because they were pushing the deadline so much, you know. And uh, so that was interesting. That was the only time I've ever done that. It was... Uh, but I think because it was, you know, there was so much planning going into it, you know, doing so many drawings and discussing them and finally deciding on one. And, uh, it wasn't too bad, you know, whereas most of the time when I work, I'm trying to turn my brain off. You know, I don't want to really think about it. Uh, I could point out some woodcuts, like if I had been thinking, like there's some town scenes, uh, whatever, uh, if I had been thinking logically about a car or if I'd been thinking logically about the hand, the person's hands that are folded in front of them on the woodcut, it would have been carved much more sort of stale and stilted, Mike. I don't know the right word, but um, there's some things that I look at later that I carve and I'm like, that's a car, but look at, the, you know, the cuts are just so few and simple but it's a car and I hadn't so I was able to disconnect and turn my brain off and that's when I think the best carving happens um, whereas if, if I'm conscious of it it's going to be a little more eh, illustrative or graphic I guess like it would be a little more controlled even um, so, so yeah th th I think that's one of the harder parts is a lot of times I'll draw and then I'll redraw it on the block. And then I don't immediately go into carving it because there's a, a big difference between a woodcut and a drawing. You know, a woodcut is going to be, the first print is going to be pretty much black and white. It's not going to have different shades of pencil and, you know, different finer lines. You're going from one medium to another. And so a lot of times I'll let that block sit around for a while. So I'll have three or four blocks drawn on. And then one day I'll just walk over to one and say, "I'm okay, grab this one and carve it. And so I've kind of separated myself from the motions of drawing it by a few days or a week or something to where 
I don't feel, I guess I'm able to disconnect, you know, turn, you know, and just carve it. So, um, yeah, anyway, so, but I think carving the labels, it was like, there was a lot more control uh, as far as, you know, a lot more planning in it. So I was carving in the hotel rooms at night and uh, trying to get those done. But, <laughs> Housekeeping must have been like, yeah. what the hell is going on here? Yeah. I know. People I, leave, tried, I cleaned up as good as I know. Did. <laughs> but people leave like empty beer bottles and stuff and dirty laundry or what, right. God knows what else. And you're leaving pieces of wood. They're like, I don't, wanna, I don't even want to know what the yeah. hell is going on in here. Yeah, well, yeah, they they they, they, uh, right. they came out great, and and I think that the way you're able to describe that kind of, it's almost like you're you know you're you're removing yourself from you know the the very you know, overly thinking things, and kind of your your body goes through this. I don't know. It right. seems almost like a meditative thing where you're almost like you yeah, know, you're, you're removed from yourself, right? Which again, it's your big your big capitalistic money maker. So any business school people out there, if you want to really. Right. Yeah. really make it you know right. kent's found the loophole but don't tell he's got the yeah he's got the carolinas covered so you have to find another part of town to to come in with your wares but yeah. um my well, wife does uh <laughs> my wife teaches yoga and she does massage and uh taking all kinds of you know she does thai yoga massage and whatnot and uh she's she's a very type a um and i'm probably type a too but pretty chill about it and uh the um um she's always listening to the meditative stuff and she says you meditate all day <laughs> i'm like yeah i probably do most of the day just you know working on arts just you know meditating so it's a, yeah it's a it's a beautiful it's a it's a beautiful thing um what i what i love about your story is you kind of I, I, I wasn't attended, but you, you carved out your own path, you know, at a time when there wasn't really right. easy, you know, easy road right. Bef before we were talking folks, you know, Kent was mentioning to to get into these galleries, sending slides. And, you know, I know there's some of you out there who are listening who have no idea what we're talking about, but you know, it was, uh, right. you know, <laughs> we actually had to go and send your pictures off somewhere to get them, you know, developed and, and what have you, but you've, you've taken, you I mean kind of all the things you're doing are, 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 you know, against the norms of, you know, our age growing up or, you know, we're in our forties. Right. And I think that, um, you know, being an artist yeah. was like, no one would tell you to be an artist. And then the idea that you couldn't do it without the internet, it seems like crazy. And then to do wood cutting, which is right. you know, again, non-traditional. I mean, you're, you're breaking norms all over the place and there's somebody and we get a lot of younger folks who listen, who do different things. Do you have any advice for kind of, you know, somebody who's thinking about going down their own path and trying to, you know, make a, you know, make a life out of this? You know, what, what, yeah, what would you say to them? Well, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just did a talk back. At, I went back to Ball State last year and talked to the art, to the printmaking program, which is funny because I wasn't even a print major, you know. I had a lot of friends that went there that were print majors and I was painting major. Um, anyway, so they, they brought me back to do a talk. And so th that question is asked a lot. And I kind of feel like um, I'm not sh since I didn't grow up with social media, like, I don't know if it's easier or harder. Like, I said, you know, is the field so flooded now? Um, does it make it more difficult? I don't know. I, I'm not that age. And I don't know. You know, it's, it's, there's a whole different mindset too. you know, uh, 
that same professor I talked about earlier, he said, you know, he used to send people out to draw, could come back and draw on the block. He's, he has to say no phones, no phones, because they'll be flipping through images on their phone to draw. He's like, no, you have to go draw. I don't want you drawing from a picture on your phone. So I guess part of the thing would be, you know, I think a lot of artists have said this, and it's just most of my ideas don't come when uh, sitting around waiting for them to hit me. Ideas come from working, you know, so make a lot of work and that'll lead you down a certain path. As far as um, making a living, I'm not sure on the future of galleries with, you know, like our, our, our gallery is going to be able to sustain in the next, you know, 15 to 20 years with so much social media, everybody just assumes, you know, well, I can just self-represent, which is good, but so is everybody else, you know? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm personally glad I didn't have social media because a lot of my early work I'd be embarrassed about, you know? So make sure you're doing good work, make a lot of work and don't, I don't know, to me, I don't like the whole uh, uh, coupon code thing and all this stuff. I think you're cheapening your art. Um, I, 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 I say it's kind of like, it seems like a race to the bottom on prices, you know? Uh, so, you know, obviously you can't start out charging, you know, too much for your work. You, know, you have to be kind of subjective or, you know, really consider where you are in life and, but don't keep beating it down with coupon codes and Instagram sales and stuff. Every, a lot of people do it, but I don't think it's good in the long run because it makes people value your work less. So I think you, you got to make a lot of work and you got to really assess what you think the value of your work is and stick to it. Um, and, you know, so galleries, you know, if you can get in one, you know, I think a lot of younger people assume, well, I don't want to give up half the money, but a lot of the galleries I got in early, they increased my prices to where I wouldn't even ask those prices if you would come to my studio, you know? So one of the galleries I got in with paintings back in 2000, I'd take a painting in there and she'd, she'd say, Okay, it's a 50-50, which most galleries are, because, you know, by the time they have all their overhead, they just aren't going to make it if they're not doing 50-50. Um, I've seen galleries try to do it 30%, and they don't make it. Um, but she would say, how much do you want for this painting? I'd say, okay, I want 600 She'd say, I don't think I can sell it for 1200 What if I sold it for 900 and you got 450 Okay, she would sell it. She knew her market. Well, within a few years of being in there, I'd take her a painting. She'd say, how much do you want? I'd say, I want $1,200. she would say, we're going to sell that for 5000 And she would sell it. So it can work that direction to where I would have never asked 2500 bucks for it. You know, I would have, you know, maybe I would now, but back then I wouldn't have. Um, so I think, you know, don't sell yourself short make a lot of work, make quality work, you know, really assess what you put up on Instagram. Uh, if you, 
if you want to get into commission work, then that's a whole different story. You know, if, you know, I don't really, I don't mind doing occasional stuff like that, but I don't want my whole life to be, you know, doing woodcuts of other people's dogs, you know, but if, if that's your thing, go ahead. But you, you need to be able to, you know, unless you have some kind of family trust or something, you got to be able to make a living. So can't, you know, what are people willing to pay for commissions? You know, I find that they don't really want to pay that much. Most people think, uh, so yeah, I don't know. That's, that's the best thing I can say is, uh, don't sell yourself short and make a lot of work. Yeah. I, I think that's great advice. And I, uh, I think yeah, we've done, we've done a couple of events. One of them we did was at a gallery and that was really, uh, a great experience for us to, to really get to see behind the scenes and better understand stuff and and what have you. We we right. rented out a gallery for a couple of weeks and did a big a big event and showcased all the you know, we had like a dozen of our artists like work on and off the can and early compositions and pieces and stuff like that. And it was just good to get advice on pricing and you know, you know what have you. Right. So yeah, it was it was a really it was a positive experience. But yeah, I definitely uh still still learning and hopefully when when things get back we can we can do another one of those again so your wife says you're meditating all day do you do you listen to music while you're creating this is our last kind of question do you have do you have music you're listening to or do you is the is the yeah, is some, nature some, is nature the soundtrack yeah yeah <laughs> yeah a lot of times nothing nothing's planned but you know sometimes music but uh yeah for the most part uh i am like I'm a pretty quiet guy, so I'm, I don't know. All right, well, don't, what, don't listen to anything most of the time. When you're listening to music, Ken, because you've been all over the place and, you know, kind of uh, talking about, you know, Americana folk, uh, you know, traditional stuff. Yeah. Uh, what, do, what, do you, what do you listen to music-wise? What's on the... What's yeah, on? yeah, I like the Americana-type folk and, you know, everything from... I always draw blanks when I try to come up with names off the top of my head, but... Uh, uh, you know, mandolin orange. You know that group? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And yeah, this, this is my this is my the the selfish AJ question because everyone's all over the all over the country in the world. I I know some. I don't know some. I jot them down and I like I you know yeah. I'm just excited. Yeah. They're very good. They're uh, kind of like uh, folk. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what, what kind of label to put on them. Um, and then the guy I was just listening to earlier, I can't think of his name, uh, Town, uh, Steve Earl's son. Uh, okay. What's his name? Hang on, I'll find it here. <laughs> um, something t- he's named uh, something after, uh, hang on. I think he's really good. And he killed himself. Justin, Justin Towns Earl, people like that, you know. Okay. Um, and I listen to a lot of old blues. I got into old, old blues, like 1930s, 40s, 50s, um, when I lived in New Mexico, of all places. And yeah. so a lot of old, old school blues like that. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, you know, a little bit of everything, but, but a lot of times nothing. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. If I was, yeah, if I was, yeah. I had your land. I mean, I, my my end of the week, like I need to escape moment is I just go out in the backyard and lay in the hammock and kind of just, un- like literally just take it all in for you know a half hour and then all I get right. up and it's like okay, work is done. Yeah. Now it's time to be to put that away till tomorrow. 
Yeah. And I've tried, I've tried listening to audio books and stuff, but I've realized, you know, it goes through seven, eight chapters and I don't know what it even said, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I'm with you on I, that. Like, I'm uh, paying attention. Well, I, yeah. And I think that when you described your process, I mean, I think that the music would add uh, a layer that would, would allow, wouldn't allow you to kind of become one with, you know, the, the motions and stuff like that. So I, I think that, um, I, I can see how your your wife thinks you're kind of in that like meditative Zen state while you're creating. Well, yeah. well, Kent, I uh, I learned a lot. I'm uh, I really admire everything that you do. I think that it's really I I love that it's unique. I love your story. You know the creativity and you know now when I look at your pieces, I you know I see even you know more things to be excited about. At some point, I hope to to get one of the one of your blue jays i think you have some blue jays it's you know we're big on those yeah. and for my my late mother-in-law so i'll, I'll uh i'll keep an eye out and if there's anything, that, well, we, if anything you, that we can do to support man i really uh i really just appreciate you making the time if and, you ever uh if you or anyone listening ever you know in the area and they want to see the studio just contact uh, me you can email me through the website and uh people come up here four or five times a month uh we're on a little mountain called paris mountain I think it's funny because, you know, we lived in New Mexico and those were mountains. This is like 2,000 feet and Greenville's at 900 feet. So it's not really, anyway, they call it Paris Mountain. So it's woods and got a little bit of a view and got my studio built on the property. There's 12 acres. Yeah, you, uh, uh old you century. Yeah, you sharing those photos, like as you built it was, I don't know, just it felt, it was like a nice follow along, but you are talking before about pick, figure out what you share. I mean, not only you, the brand that you're presenting, the photos are, are really quality. You're, I mean, again, I keep using these, but like how you frame your photos, it's very, they really capture, uh, you know, they, they have the feelings and kind of way, way you connect with them, I think is whatever you're doing. It's, yeah, it's, I, I it's, had, it's really uh, smart. I had people saying that I should make a separate art account, but, I just feel like my art and my life are the same thing. So, you know, sometimes you're going to see dog pictures or studio yeah. pictures or whatever. And sometimes yeah. you're going to see art artwork. Yeah. Uh, I think that you so probably shouldn't listen to those all. people. Yeah. I don't think you should listen. I mean, whoever they are, yeah. if, they're, if they're close to you and they're listening, I apologize. But if you, if you don't, <laughs> no. if you don't see the fact that the other things influence the art, I mean, it's, it's literally giving you somebody right. showing you inside of their head and how, okay this is where I am. This is why I have these. Right. I don't know. It's kind of like, right. uh, again, capitalist, capitalist Kent yeah. here, yeah. capitalist Kent making that money, yeah. <laughs> doing, doing the easy work. But, um, well, again, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. I'm glad that, uh, we were able to connect and yeah. it was, it was the perfect time. So if there's anything, if there's any galleries or shows or, or festivals that you're doing in the future and, you know, let us know. We'll be, we'll be more than happy to to promote, and hopefully we can uh, okay. we can grab a diet coke in the future. Oh well, actually, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't can't All thank right. you enough. I, I really I really appreciate you, and uh, I think it's great. And I just uh, I think that you're true to yourself and your art, and I think that's going to really resonate with a lot of people. I know it's got me, you know, even just kind of uh, cool. I try to take stuff away from each of these personally, and just uh, it's uh, comes at the right time. So I, I appreciate you, and I. If anything I do in the future, don't hesitate to reach out, man. All right. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks a lot. All right, Kent. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks.
And there you have it, folks. Episode 175 is officially in the books. Kent Ambler. KentAmbler.com. KentAmbler.net. And then on the IG, Kent Ambler Art. We want to thank everybody. We are grateful. We appreciate you. We are thankful. We love doing this. We cannot believe this is episode 175. It was roughly about a little more than four years ago that we had this idea. It was probably around this time. We probably, when I think back about it, I've, in the past, I've had other ideas. I've had crazier ideas. And so if you listen enough, you know that we used to do radio. And so... We came up with the idea. We were really starting to really get heavy into craft beer more and trading and just seeing that what was happening with the, the, the can movement. And I don't know if this is just to make the story sound sexier or cool, but I you know, shared the idea with your friends, and I know that I would share it with my family and my siblings at, at Thanksgiving. And so it just... It just blossomed. It just grew. And I think that's one of the things that we're really going to focus on on season 16. We're going to go back in the early days. We're going to, well, we're not going to tell you what we're going to do. It's going to be kind of a, a secret. And we're going to try to do some you know, unique things. But we're also locking down most of our season 17 artists, too. So we're just going for it. We're going to get us over that 200-episode uh, hump as we keep moving forward and, and learning and grinding on the on the book. And so... We just, you know, if you're if you're listening to this episode and you've you're, you know, we're about an hour and a half in. If you're still with us, you know, I really, I just want to say thank you. You know, when we talk about you know the whole episode and we've rambled and done different things and shown how appreciative we are. We're thankful for you. You know, we hear from people all around the world, and from my heart, it means so much to me. The fact that you take time out of your day, out of your life. Or maybe you make us a part of your life. Maybe it's a ritual. You listen on Friday. You know you're heading to you know heading to teach school. You know your art teacher, or maybe maybe you're a you know sixth grade English teacher, or you teach science, or whatever whatever it is. However you bring us into your life, it means a lot to us because this is something that started out as an idea, kind of a crazy thought, and it's really blossomed and grown into really something pure and. and beautiful and we're really proud of that and we're really proud to share these moments with you and these these people with you and these wonderful artists with you and so we've you know the goal is to to get as many guests from around the world we've trying to get somebody from all 50 states and you know the book and whatever else comes from that so we just want to say thank you as we wrap up uh you know thanksgiving you know if you're here you're important you're part of this community and we're doing it together so thank you Please reach out. Let us know why you're here. Feel free to leave, you know, a message or just you know shoot us, you know, a DM or an email. AJ at one six zero Z Canvas. And if you have a minute, have a moment, you know, please leave a review or you know rate us on you know on any of the, the platforms that you're that you're using. So have a have a great weekend or Tuesday, depending when you're listening to this. We uh, we appreciate you. We're grateful, and we know that together this is all possible so have a great day and uh you're wonderful and just remember be a good human it's not too much to ask <laughs>